Podcast Revolution Network presents. The Way with Noah. edition of the way with Anoa. this is wednesday um may 24th i was unable to do a live stream usually i do a live stream wednesday evenings at 9 p.m eastern time family duty mothering calls um and unfortunately uh there is no Anoa to replace Anoa when she is i used to fill in for ben dixon and and a joke was you know i needed a noah well there's no Anoa to fill in for Anoa when Anoa is not able to go on the air try saying that three times fast anyway i'm really excited about the interview that i'm going to share with you um later on in this episode i got a chance to talk with lee camp um this i i got a chance to meet lee actually back in january um I got a chance to meet Lee back actually in January uh, around Occupy Inauguration events. We actually sat on a panel together. It was pretty cool, um, except for the fact that I was after him. So I had to, following Lee is a tough act uh, for anyone who ever has to do it. Really great guy, um, great personality, really knowledgeable about a whole host of topics, and a pretty awesome personality to boot. Um, not too funny this interview is, but really insightful and inspiring, I think, in terms of the way uh, we can share our natural gifts to help further the issues and, and, and movements we believe in, but also building connections with people outside of maybe the traditional circles we might find discussing issues like clean water or climate change. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about Lee in developing his craft, I mean, Lee, Lee will, you'll hear it, Lee talks about being a stand-up comedian for, I believe, well over a decade prior to really shifting more uh, uh, political in his focus. And what I think is really awesome, though, it is the way that he's able to connect with people on a level that makes it easy to understand and engaging, but still addressing really concrete issues. So it's not a watering it down. It's just communicating in a way that's easily discernible. And if, if more of us were able to do that and really had those one-on-one -on -one conversations, whether you're on stage, you know, doing your stick or you're in a, in a living room, you know, you know, meeting with people about, you know, changes that need to happen in your community, or you're at a PTA meeting speaking up about an issue, you know, there is so much we can do to help transfer a, a, a bit of us into the work that we're doing to help connect with people and make things on a more personable level to engage. Um, also, I want to talk real quickly just about a couple of things before we jump into the conversation with Lee. One thing that was really interesting that 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 I learned today, and and it, and it goes along with the conversation I, I I'm going to share with Lee. But one thing that I learned is there there are a lot of things that we as organizers, activists, supporters of various issues and movements, we know things you know academically, right? We understand intellectually why we're supposed to you know be against certain things, or why we're supposed to be you know against fracking, or we're supposed to be pro 
pro-choice or why we're supposed to be, you know, in favor of Black Lives Matter. We understand why the prison, the school-to-prison pipeline is bad. And this is something that I just experienced today as a parent having to deal with a disciplinary issue with my child, one of my children. You know, for me, I, I've understood logically. I know what the issues are in terms of dealing with the prison, the school-to-prison pipeline in terms of, you know, the, the, the over-criminalization of our youth in schools and, a different, and, and just the drastic changes. I'm a younger parent. I've only been out of high school. I haven't even been out. It's not even been, but I've been out of high school, what, 16 years? Not very long. Um, I've been out of high school some time, but things have changed so drastically from when I was in school and we actually had, you know, dean of students who handled issues like detention, suspensions, and disciplinary matters, right? We had people who, who were responsible but they were actual, you know, faculty, you know, administrator. Their duty was to the student. But now, and this is not a diss because, because you know, there there are some really great people who do this work. And we're actually very blessed to be in a school in an environment where people respect and understand, you know, different things and different kids and, and try to work with folks, right? Because, um, but it, it's very alarming to me with, you know, a rambunctious child that has gotten in, you know, regular, what we would have called just regular, you know, boy trouble as kids, it is, it is something that's so problematic now because almost everything that kids do in school carries a criminal charge along with it. So if police are, are involved or if they are asked to step in, you know, your kid is now looking at for what, when we were kids, what would have been something that was handled with an in-school suspension, detention, something like that. Um, yeah, you should get a consequence, but that doesn't mean that if you're, if you're messing around as an adolescent doing dumb stuff, of course, again, consequences, that doesn't mean that you should be potentially facing misdemeanor or even felony charges for something that is simplistic that can be resolved between school and parents. Now, I know some folks might say, well, parents aren't really involved in this. We as a community have to do better and we have to protect the youth and make sure that they are given a future. Now, I'm not going to say that kids, again, I'm not going to say that kids, whether mine or anyone else, should not have consequences for what they do, but it is very disconcerting and alarming as a parent when you see words like battery. I remember the first time Max got in trouble for a fight at school, there was, and he didn't even start the fight, right? And I called up the school, he was in fifth grade, I called the school, I said, I'm sorry, you need to remove this, you need to write specifically, you need to write specifically what happened because what is what is listed is insufficient because this is not accurate. I said, you are writing, you know, you are basically accusing my kid of a criminal act. And this is not this is this is just not proper. And, you know, my kid, I, another incident in his current school, you know, I was able to say, like, well, well, per the manual, what your punishment you're giving him is is not even accurate and blah, blah, blah and X, Y, Z. And it's and you you're not even qualifying it the right way because you got to be real careful. And again, I'm not saying the administrators are out to get my kid, but just that we have to be diligent as parents. These are people who deal with, you know, hundreds of students at a time. You know, there are some schools, there are some incidents, instances where you really do need to be removing administrators. They really don't need to be in charge of, of our children. However, there are instances where people, you know, we just need to work with them. But that bias, though, that exists when they think or assume that parents aren't involved or no one's going to stick up for kids. Some, who's going to stick up for the kids? Somebody has to do it. And so just thinking about how this relates to my conversation with Lee about how we need to find a way to relate to the people in our environments 
people that if we're we're concerned and engaging in an issue, you know, how do we channel that into talking about the issues that are affecting our communities, that are affecting our youth, that are affecting us on a regular basis in a way that helps people understand not just the pressing need for their involvement, but also the how-to, right? And, and, and laying it, just making it very clear. Um, and, and that was just something that, that, that I personally experienced. Like, like I said, I wasn't able to do the live show today because we had some other stuff going on personally on the family front. But I, I share that because there is so much going on. Another issue that I think that kind of relates to this is this notion of, you know, protecting blue lives. Not quite, you know, connected, but it's similar in terms of how laws and issues are enforced under a particular pretense, right? Because part of the issue we see with the way these, these, these different disciplinary rules and we got to give kids consequences, we have to protect them, we have to do this. I mean, think about even the way they've handled sexting charges, against minor children right minor youth over the last several years you know kids in some they're doing a little bit better in some situations now but and when this was really becoming an issue with you know the, the 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 frequency of kids with you know cell phones with with picture and video and stuff and the kids sexting and stuff you know hormones not thinking all types of going on kids were being charged with possession of, you know, child pornography, laws are being used against them in a punitive fashion that were not actually intended for this purpose, right? When the laws were created, they were not created to punish kids who were engaging in reckless or problematic, you know, as parents we might argue, behavior, but otherwise consensual, if they were over 18, would not even be illegal. So, and no, I'm not advocating for sex thing amongst teens, but just noting how this is something that has happened and occurred between young people, right, that is criminalized, that is not instead used as a point for further engagement and talking about uh, uh, having, you know, smarter choices and behavior. You know, these are topics and issues in terms of criminal justice that we don't traditionally think about when we're talking to our kids, when we're talking in our communities, but these are things that can have lifelong consequences. The same thing we start breaking it down about how I, I was, I was, it was said to us today when I went to pick up my son from school, he got in trouble, that we were lucky that this was middle school because if it was high school, he could possibly have been handcuffed and questioned by a police without any adult present in terms of school officials. That was so alarming to me because it never occurred to me that if my son had, gets in trouble in high school, he could be handcuffed and arrested by a police for getting in trouble in school. I mean, yes, I've, and again, I'm not naive. I do see the news. I do see different things going on, overzealousness or whatever. But so that's what I'm saying. Like I, you advocate, we know things academically, but we really need to get an intimate understanding of the issues that, 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 are, that are passionate and drive us and that are affecting our communities. We need to have conversations with people around us to understand more about what the priorities are for, for our friends, family, neighbors, and community members. What are some of the major issues, right, happening in our schools? As a, as a parent of school-age children, this is something that I'm committing myself to when I'm thinking about what do I need to use, whatever little bit of extra time and energy I do have. One of the priorities for me going into the next school year over this summer is paying attention to what's going on with our school board. What's going on with the different changes coming down the pipeline? Can I get to, we have these things called go team nows. You know, can I adjust my schedule to at least get to a couple of go team meetings? How do I get more involved in understanding of what's going on in the schools? Who's making these decisions and how things are interacting? Because it's very disturbing to me the manner in which 
that code of conduct, which is a contract between the children, parents, and the school is, is giving a license and authority for police to then intervene in a manner that in some instances circumvents and, 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 and really subjugates constitutional protections that would otherwise be available to youth if they were involved in some type of incident. Like even if, you know, school administrators, and again, I go back to the sex thing because it's something I did research on years ago, is that, you know, with, with, uh, with phones and stuff being confiscated, right, and property, school administrators take liberties. And again, this is not, I actually, I really appreciate the staff at my son's school at all. This is not anything personal towards them. This is just me communicating revelations that I had today that I want to share because, again, I think it ties into the conversation I have with Lee in terms of how we engage and communicate about issues that we're passionate about, but understanding them in a way on a personal level. You don't have to necessarily directly experience something to be able to communicate and really be present in the work that we're doing and the issues that we're advocating for. And, 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 and one of the things I just noticed, you know, just the way, you know, searches and seizures, I mean, just the way kids' rights are trampled on, and we talk about the school to prison pipeline, there's so many facets and avenues to this that I don't even think is really considered. The other thing, like I said before, what I was going to touch on was just this notion of, you know, protecting blues lives. There is a bill that was reintroduced um, not too long ago in Congress. It died last year. It's been reintroduced again. Um, and it seeks to increase penalties, supposedly under the guise of, quote unquote, protecting police lives. But so many of these bills that have been passed in the uptick, you know, of activism around the growing movement for black lives, black lives matter movement have been really geared towards um, have been really geared towards protecting and shielding police from accountability and responsibility and making it more difficult. Whether they say that they don't say that on his face, they say a whole bunch of other things, but how they actually act, act and operate in practice. It's almost like, you know, you're trying to protect a tortfeasor from being held responsible. So like, you know, someone who commits a bad act or negligent act, that's exactly, it's, it's similar, you know, when they pass like product liability, uh, a manufacturer, you know, laws to exclude, you know, uh, um, exclude manufacturers from product liability or, or, or things like with the gun manufacturers, things like that. The same type of mindset is being used when trying to shield police officers uh, uh, from accountability under the guise of quote unquote protecting them. And it's, and it's, and it's really deep and we need to shift the narrative from don't you support the police we support the constitution, right? We support fundamental rights and people fall into this trap. When I say people, I mean elected officials, particularly Democrats and Republicans alike fall into this trap of, of course we support the police. That's because of the toxic nature of police unions. Of course we support the elite police. Of, of course we believe in standing by police. But the problem is if you truly support the police and their ability to do their job, then we would be making sure they're actually doing their job and upholding the constitution and protecting fundamental rights as they exist across the board, which includes the protected liberty interests, right? Including the right to live and other constitutional protections that exist. Now, I know some folks will say, well, they are doing their job. This is exactly what they were created for the purpose of doing. I don't disagree with that at all. But I do think that we need to challenge narratives where they exist. We need to be to be able to effectively communicate what the issues are, where they exist, and, and delineate, you know, nuance very, very clearly for why standing for A does not mean you're completely opposed to B. So 
please enjoy the conversation that I have with Lee. That was just my my initial thoughts for the evening. I, I again, I really do hope we're able to get video next time with Lee. You know, it'll be really exciting. Great guy. If you are here in Atlanta, he will be here June 9th and 10th. Um, has a great show lined up, and he's actually touring on the weekends. All I believe all summer. Um, I'll there will be a link to there's a link to the. Uh, his schedule in the, in, in the, in the description for this episode. Um, but seriously, like we, we need to use our, our gifts, our tools. I'm not going to say you can't do anything for yourself. I'm never going to say that you definitely got to take care of yourself, your family, you know, rep for where you at. But at the same time, we need to push ourselves to be able to communicate in a way with others around us to move the needle on these issues and not just some incremental rah, rah, look at us. We made a, we, we went to a March type of thing but really digging in fundamentally on how to not just have conversations, but really bring about a, a, a political engagement and action, as well as helping others embrace and understand the political agency they have and making decisions in their world. So without further ado, this is my interview with Lee Camp. Enjoy. Let me know what you think. Peace. Hey, you are um, doing your touring during these during the weekends in the summer months, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing, uh, right now I've scheduled Atlanta, Minneapolis, New York, and Chicago. Oh, very awesome. So, how does, how do you manage, you know, with, with, with your creative, with your show, and your, you know, with all your content and stuff, and then also going on tour, like, how do you fit everything in with what you're doing, as well as, you know, your, your, your political commentary, like, how do you find a balance with all of your work? Well, I have a team of three lookalikes, and they do a lot of it. Uh, no, it's uh, it's not easy. Um, uh, we are we are on the TV show on Redacted tonight. We're a bit of a skeleton crew too. I do I do all my own writing, which may not sound that odd to a lot of people, but for most of these comedy TV shows, there are teams of writers, and so uh, it's it definitely is a it's a big it's a big workload to to research and write and and then host the, the TV shows and then I generally just do the touring on the weekends so um, Atlanta will be a Friday Saturday uh, I believe in June and then mm-hmm. uh, New York is this upcoming weekend so yeah I go I go out on the weekends um, and uh, or some weekends and and try and play the cities because you know I started as a stand up comic and and. That's definitely one of my true loves. I love doing the show too, but right. I wouldn't want to give up. I wouldn't want to give up live stand up completely. How did you? How did you? You know, with, with, with live stand up and then with the show that you do, how did how did you merge your two worlds that you that you work in? I mean, it works well. I I, I enjoy your, your your work, but how did you? How did that come to you to even begin to operate in that way? Well, I. Yeah, my stand-up became more and more political. I mean, I spent you know 15 years, uh, roughly, being a stand-up comedian first mm-hmm. and foremost, and um, it became more and more political. And uh, you know, and 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 stand-up at a regular comedy club when you want to be political is kind of a you're walking a tightrope because right. you're not you're not playing to people that are there to see you usually, or even there to see politics. So. Um, it, yeah, I had to find a way to make things funny and interesting. And so that even people that maybe disagreed were still entertained. Um, 
And now, so there's a little bit of difference with the TV, with the TV show in that mm-hmm. um, I, I know that people are at least coming to uh, learn about the week's news or the redacted stories of the week or whatever. Um, and then I can, uh, you know, try and make those funny. Uh, so there's there's a bit of a, a difference, but um, it basically, you know, my stand-up became more and more political when I started doing a YouTube show, Moment of Clarity, um, in which I would take political news stories of the week and, and do a comedic rant on them, and, and that kind of became the TV show, which has a lot of similarities to the YouTube show. Okay. Um, and, and that was just a really interesting point, what you just said about how, like, with your stand, like, with stand-up and trying to do political and stand-up, it can go, you gotta walk a tightrope, it can go, a, you know, a different way. I know, like, recently, I think, like, Amy Schumer, and I'm trying to think, there's someone else who tried to, like, make Trump jokes, I guess, and it totally backfired, um, in terms of the audience re- re- receipt. So, um, how have you found reception, like, with, when, well, well, let me back up, like, with your stand-up, do you get political with your stand-up, or do you kind of have a different stand-up routine, you know, a different space for you when you do your stand-up um, than when you do the show, or do you kind of just, you know, merge across worlds? Well, my, my stand-up is heavily political, um, but it is, there is a lot of cultural commentary in mm-hmm. there, which, which people can consider political, but it is... You know, uh, like, for example, I do a bit on how, you know, uh, diamonds aren't actually rare. We've just been led to believe they're rare. And so to me, that is kind of political. It's talking about resources. It's talking about the economy. It's talking about the manipulation of marketing. Um, So there's a lot of uh, kind of politics wrapped up in it, but it is cultural commentary. And and so. Uh, there's a bit of a difference in that, but it's, it, it, you know, I, I consider most of what I do to be somewhat political. Um, I think the the reason Amy Schumer and I guess also Louis C.K. did some yes, stuff on Trump was, and, yeah. and and people got upset. I think I think where it varies with them is they're not known for that type of thing. So right. Louis C.K. is not not known for giving his opinions on on the politics of the world, whereas you know, my fan base, although much smaller than his, is uh, I am known for that. So I don't think I'd have, you know, reams of people walking out <laughs> because <laughs> I made a statement on, on Trump, whereas it is a different thing where you've created a persona that is, you know, saying to people, hey, I'm not going to feed you politics. Uh, and then you do. And then they're turned off or whatever. Right, right. Have you have you found that you're like the way you deliver or maybe even some of the, the the people that are becoming more attracted to your style of you know delivering information and news as well as you know the comedy side do you see that there maybe that your your audience has broadened any in in since you know basically the 2016 election do you i mean have there been changes in the way that you know the way people are digesting or consuming your material or is it just you know maybe more of an uptick you know has there been any change in anything since the election well, there was a big uptick uh, headed up to the election. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a combination of the fact that that's what everyone in America was talking about right. and and the fact that people were in this election, maybe more than any other, realizing they were not getting the full story from our mainstream media, right. um, especially when it came, you know, Trump got 23, the final numbers were 23 times as much coverage in the, in the primary than Bernie Sanders. Right. So, uh, people were tired of just Trump 24-7, and they wanted to hear about Bernie and, and what was going on there and the DNC and everything. And and so, you know, I was providing that, uh, 
you know, it's what I would have been doing anyway, but it just so happened it was what people were hungry for because they weren't getting it anywhere else. So it, it really, the, the, the Bernie revolution dovetailed with a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show. Um, since the election, there's, there's definitely been a, a decrease in, in viewership, but I think that goes for all political shows across the spectrum. Right. People, I think, I think of a combination of people turning off because they think, they think, oh, the election's over. What's the point? Um, and then also people, uh, who became very defeatist after seeing a rigged system, a rigged system in multiple ways, but a, a rigged system against Bernie, particularly, uh, I think a lot of people became defeatist and kind of decided, I don't want to learn about this stuff, at least for right now. And, and, you know, that's, that's sad. I hope they come back to caring soon because right. the world, the world needs them. But Yeah. And, and I just, just, I mean, that is a really good point about people kind of dropping off, but not just dropping off because, oh, the election is over, but, but because there has been. It, it kind of took the life out of the room, I think, for some, considering how, not just how things went with the turnout of the election, but I think in terms of the way movement work is shaping out over the last several months um, post-election and looking for real clear direction. I mean, right, like you mentioned, you know, DNC rigging. We do have the DNC fraud lawsuit going on. We, you know, we, we hear from, you know, internal uh, establishment folks in the DNC that you sh that we're not the enemy, Trump is the enemy, kind of a silencing almost of, of the issues that have been raised about, you know, internal political um, dynamics within the Democratic Party and those who choose to align or vote Democrat. And it doesn't really seem like there's been a real good, uh, a singular outlet for people to, 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 to go into. So it, it, it is disheartening to see folks become... Um, I guess disenchanted to some extent, but but hopefully, like you said, people will come back in. And th there are people who are engaging and trying to do stuff. We first met um, at an Occupy inauguration in January uh, mm -hmm. uh, with, with with Pip and other groups. So I mean, there is you know more movement building happening. It's just making sure that 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 attention actually um, is shown on those groups so that people can know what is out there. Yeah, yeah, I I think that. In a certain sense, people are more fired up than mm -hmm. they ever have been before in terms of like sustained, uh, you know, movement building. I, I think it's pretty huge, and and I, I think I think people more than ever before are realizing that we have an entirely uh, corrupt system um, and a system that's not working for the people. And I think that's a change from from the past. I think there there so there is a level of waking up happening. Um. Yeah, and like it just even even beyond because I know I've, I've caught you know you, you you're also one of the main people who can point out like oh my God Russia 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 but there are all these other real issues. Um, one thing I I noticed that you you had did something on was as uh, what the situation in Puerto Rico. There's very little information. There's very little coverage of of the Puerto Rican debt crisis of just the massive you know catastrophe that has been. Um, trying to salvage, I guess, if, if that's what the U.S. government has even tried to do. Um, and there's so little attention. So I just want to say like, oh, wow, look, I saw I, I noticed that that you had covered that because very few people actually have talked about even last year when 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 one of the major um, debt payments were due, you know, when they were they were facing possible um, uh, possible default on payment, it was kind of a blip it wasn't really something that's focused on there are all these major issues like that that are being mm -hmm. overshadowed um 
Yeah, we we try and cover a lot of the the stories that are not getting covered enough. And the Puerto Rico mm-hmm. thing is, you know, yet another example where this this debt, which in a lot of ways is imaginary. I mean, these right. are, the, the, the this is not like pieces of gold. It's not even printed money. This is, these right. are ideas on a computer screen that, you know, zeros and ones that, that people have decided, well, therefore people's lives should be crushed because of, uh, you know, this, this debt system that we've created. And it's ridiculous. And on top of that, whenever austerity has been used, you look at Greece and you look at various countries around the world, Portugal, whenever austerity is used to uh, to try and, quote unquote, fix these things, it just it, it never works and it just harms people. And yet it's what corporations, it's what the global governments want. And, it you know, the, you see these societies being sold for, for pennies on the dollar. It's, it's really a sick system. Um, that is not is not designed to work for the people. It's designed to be exploitative for the for the rich, for the corporations, and and and, and, and you know that that attention to that is so rarely called by any of our mainstream media. And you know, I, I think it's the root of so much suffering and misery around the world. And we've got to figure it out. We've got to start to realize that uh, before our environment fully collapses. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the other things that stood out to me about the Puerto Rico situation um, is the fact that, you know, because of its status as not being a state, as a commonwealth in the United States, it was not amenable to um, bankruptcy protection like, you know, say like states or cities use, but also just some of the stringent, um, you know, plans that were put in place, you know, by the by the congressional um, committee that was appointed that, that, you know, they can do things like lower the, the minimum wage for, you know, certain age groups. Um, you know, it's just, it's just so many different things. Like Puerto Rican citizens still pay taxes. You know, they're still U.S. citizens. But, but what is available to them as a recourse in this whole scenario is even less than what's available. So it's like it seems like in some ways it's even more of a dire situation than other similarly situated, you know, U.S. citizens in other places. But we still have the travesty that is Flint. I mean, we still we, we, we see these different levels of 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 a, a government malfeasance, you know, and, and corporate malfeasance existing on multiple scales across the country. And like you just said, we do have to find a way to not just get attention put on it, but really start organizing and mobilizing to really address the root causes of these issues. And it's not going to be just in crowning some other new um, person who's just preaching more incremental you know, we can't do that just now because they won't let us um, type of thing. Right. And, 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 you know, of course, the other thing that doesn't, that people don't want to talk about is that this goes back to colonialism. You know, why, mm-hmm. why should we, why should we own Puerto Rico uh, when, when there were people living there when we decided to claim it? Absolutely. Um, and, and, but in terms of the financial system, it's, it, they, they also then take the, democracy away from the people you know right now there's some sort of financial bureau appointed right. by the u.s that is not is completely unelected in puerto rico that's overseeing things it's similar to what happened in flint michigan where you had a emergency an unelected emergency manager quote mm-hmm. unquote that was appointed by the governor who then just takes it upon himself to uh you know poison their water um so it, it is you know they they use these debt crises or trumped up debt crises to take away democracy from the people and sell the, you know the social safety net down the river yeah um yeah no no that's exactly right and so the these are things though that become you know points of how do we address 
address these issues in the system? How do we not just, you know, who do we elect to deal with this, but how do we as the people find a way, like you said, to address the underpinnings that still exist of, of, of colonialism, um, you know, the vestiges of colonialism, particularly as they exist here, you know, in, in the states and in, you know, the, the, the just, just the Caribbean, the regions around us as well. Um, another thing that I, that I know that you have uh, uh, spent some time on too, um, that is something else that is, I really think is one of the most, another underreported story, it is directly connected to the election cycle, has been the massive issues with voter suppression um, that are, is really not being covered. Uh, we, you know, we just saw that uh, Chris Kobach is being um, appointed as, as head of the Voter Fraud Commission for a problem that is not a real problem, when in fact we have a massive issue with voter suppression. Um, you know, we've, we've seen this different, different counts of, um, of, of, of how close it was between Hillary and, and, and Donald Trump in um, uh -huh. the 2016 election. And in some of these same states, um, I believe like Wisconsin maybe, it was that, you know, Donald Trump only beat her for a few tens of thousands of votes. And really, you know, when you look at the number of votes that were suppressed, um, it was more like, you know, several hundred thousand votes were, were suppressed in those areas. So um, uh -huh. that that is definitely, um, you know, yeah. something that definitely needs more, more conversation that's not happening at all. Yeah, I mean, it seems the mainstream media is afraid of just about anything that will undermine our election system. But, of course, you can't fix the problem if you aren't willing to talk about it. And the our election system is a complete sham on many levels. Um, the, the ones you brought up here are the fact that they keep accusing, the right wing keeps accusing uh, everybody of voter fraud. Now, that's different from election fraud. Voter fraud, as you as you know, is the idea that people are voting multiple times, but that basically never happens. They've Chris Kobach, who who is he's out of Kansas, and he actually created the cross check system that knocked you mentioned millions of people off the voter rolls this past election. He has found one, literally convicted one person in Kansas of voter fraud, voting more than once, uh, or or voting as a non citizen. Now that guy probably what really happened is that guy's not a citizen thought he was entitled to vote and voted in a couple of elections. And so even then, it's not a sinister, you know, Dr. Evil uh, scenario. Right. It's a non-citizen who didn't know he couldn't vote. Now, but but so they, they basically for a problem that doesn't exist, they are then trying to knock or, or succeeding in knocking millions of mainly minorities off the rolls. And uh, uh, I know it was similar in Wisconsin, but the numbers that I, I do uh, have memorized are from Michigan. Uh, uh, Hillary lost by roughly 10,000 votes and 500,000 in Michigan wow. alone were knocked off by interstate cross check. Wow. Now, even if uh, not all of those voted, let's say it was 100,000 tried to vote, that still would have easily put Hillary over the top in that state. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm no Hillary fan, but I want a legit election system. And the fact that we're not talking about this as a country and allowing uh, someone who is a, I mean, he's a criminal for knocking so many people off the rails, allowing a criminal to be in charge of quote-unquote voter fraud to make this problem even worse. is It's a true true Fox Hen House scenario going on here. Um, and then, of course, there's, there's election fraud on so many other levels, such as the, the computer voting systems that are patented uh, coding so that we are never able to check whether our votes are actually being counted or not. It's It has so many problems, and uh, you know, we talk about it a lot on Redacted tonight, but I, I would love to see it become an, an, a national issue on a much larger scale because it is without our legitimate election system, we really have nothing.
that that is I think that is really crucial like like you just said like pointing that out the difference in you know the, the win totals um in, in in these various key states right that Hillary Clinton lost where you know you had massive voter suppression happening it's not about we, I mean we got to get past it's not about you know who we prefer or who we like better but like you said it's about the this election system and actually making sure it works the way it's supposed to um, and and there's so much focus right now. We're so on on this on this notion that Russia somehow is is responsible and undermined when we really do actually have evidence, have legitimate real evidence of real undermining of the integrity of our electoral system. And nobody, or yeah. rarely, barely anyone, um, there are very few people. I mean, Greg Palas, of course, is like the leading voice on this, but there are so few. There's so little attention really being put on this, and. And it's happening, it happens all across the South, but Michigan was, is, is considered a dim stronghold, right, in terms of national elections, and, and that is a huge issue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, and, so, and, and people only look at, even when they do talk about this, they only look at the presidential election, mm-hmm. um, but in fact, it impacts all of the down, uh, down ballot races, so, the, you know, the fact that the Republicans, and, and again, I'm not one party or the other. I'm I'm right. outside of the two party system, but the fact that Republicans uh, own the, the own Congress and own the majority of governorships around the country is ex- directly due to uh, what's going on with the voting system and interstate cross check and other things. And uh, the fact that it never gets talked about is is tremendous. It, it's allowing it's allowing the far right wing to take over this country when in fact. They know that the only way they can keep winning these elections is to stop minorities from voting and to uh, lock up as many people, mainly poor people, as possible. Uh, that's, the, that's the only way that a far right wing can continue to win in this country. And so far, it seems that we're letting them do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 I don't know what the word is. Disconcerting, problematic. Ugh, it's just so many things you could say about it. But yeah. it's just. As we, as we, as we, as we, you know, just thinking about what are, what are some things that people now going back to your, your show, since if anyone's in New York, Minnesota, here in Atlanta, um, what do people have to look forward to when they come see a Lee Camp show? Well, I can promise them that the stand-up comedy show is much funnier than we're being <laughs> right now. Uh, <laughs> I can guarantee them that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'll be doing an hour and there'll be a, a special guest opener and okay. it, it is, it is very funny and enjoyable. I definitely get into politics here and there, but I can promise uh, them that, that it's not, it's, it's not uh, a boring lecture or anything like that. It is full on stand up comedy, uh, you know, in the, in the style of uh, George Carlin or, or Bill Hicks or, or many of the others. And mm-hmm. I promise them they'll go loud. They'll, they'll, they'll walk away having laughed a lot. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's stand up comedy of a style that is not really allowed that much on television. I mean, there are right. some political uh, comedians still out there, but it's not, most of the ones you see are not generally going to talk about uh, important issues like, uh, I I try very hard to do so. So hopefully it's a it's a show that they're that they'll they'll get uh, in a different way from what they get on television. And uh, you know it's tons of fun and it's not expensive. And uh, the the tickets and everything are at leecamp.net slash schedule uh, or 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 leecamp.com if you just go there and click on the uh, live show tab. Okay, and 
I, this is just, I'm just curious, like just listening when you, when you named off just what your style is similar to who, I don't know if you actually have this off the top of your head, but who would be, who are your top five faves, like comedians? Well, they, they were definitely the ones that, that had a strong influence on me coming up uh, and, and kind of, you know, seeing George Carlin and Bill Hicks and seeing that it was mm-hmm. possible to, to make dark cultural commentary funny. Uh, yes. That was very influential. Uh, uh, Chris Rock was inco- incredibly influential on me because, uh, you know, I, I think he, I very much think he's a political comedian, but I've noticed people don't clarify uh, black comedians as political because uh-huh. apparently it's, it's just, I guess it's more assumed if you're black, then you're going to be talking about cultural issues more commonly <laughs> or something. I don't know. I don't know. But, but I, I don't quite get the reason. But Chris Rock, you know, definitely back in his, his bigger and blacker specials and things mm-hmm. like that was very, very political. And um, and again, showed me that you can take these these really dark things. I mean, he had jokes about curing AIDS and how we'll never right. cure AIDS and and uh, things like that that were really dark issues. But he was, he, you know, he wasn't attacking the victims. He was attacking the, the power structure. And, and, and to me, that that showed you can how you can make these things so so funny and and really uh um really get at the heart of the matter and really talk about truths that maybe people wouldn't want to talk about otherwise true true yeah those are good ones definitely of course you know because you do this this is your industry (laughs) but but no seriously like like i just i just really appreciate taking the time to talk to you and it's and it's interesting um listening you talk about you know the, 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 the dark commentary, cultural commentary, making it funny, because I really do think finding ways to, to make this information engaging for people is really, it really helps open people's minds um, that they're maybe not going to sit there and listen through to like a 60 minute special or something, but maybe they'll come listen to someone like a Lee Camp talking about issues that really matter. And I think that's a really, that's a really cool way. I, I mean, I know George Carl, like I've, I've watched George Carlin, you know, like growing up and stuff. And I never really thought about it. Like, like, like how, you know, George was probably informing people on issues to some extent until like I got older, you know, and really started sitting there and thinking mm-hmm. about stuff more in my own life too. And so the way you just said, it, I was like, Oh yeah, that is, that is very, that's very valuable um, to have someone who can do that and make it enjoyable at the same time. Yeah, I you know, and and it's it's both that people often aren't willing to sit through uh, something that's not funny about about such dark issues, but mm-hmm. it's also that that you know Hollywood and the entertainment world uh, aren't really willing to talk about a lot of those issues unless mm-hmm. they're put forward in a funny way or in a in a certain context. So so George Carlin, especially back when there were far fewer channels, you know, when there were right. five five channels or what ten channels. George Carlin was able to uh, to kind of uh, break through uh, the gatekeepers and and present these truths in a way that that no one had ever seen in in Hollywood or or, or at least wasn't allowed in Hollywood. So, it, you know, he he and some others, you know, uh, Pryor and uh, and Lenny Bruce and mm-hmm. a few others were able to kind of use Hollywood to put forward ideas that weren't really allowed in the on the national dialogue. Yeah, definitely. What are what are like three issues, and then we can get ready and wrap up. But what are three issues um, that you think should get more attention that are not getting enough attention now on a national stage? Well, we already talked about election fraud, but right. um, uh, I mean, 
it, even though it is finally getting some of its due, I think the fact that that the mainstream media is not talking about climate change on an hourly basis mm -hmm. is is you know really a, a a sad a sad situation. And and part of that is uh, capitalism as a whole. We need to discuss: Are we do we really want to have a system that it puts profit above all else, profit above people's lives, profit above our air and water and everything else. And that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of very useful aspects aspects of capitalism that, that could be continued to be used. But to act like it's some sort of holy grail where we're just going to allow Nestle to buy up all of our water, put it in bottles and sell it for uh, you know uh, $3 when people can't afford it, to act like that's an okay system and never question it, is uh, it's it's a sickness of our minds. It's it's amazing that that we allow it to go on uh, in that way. And now now again, this isn't saying that there aren't positive aspects that we can continue to use, but to to put profit over everything in our world is is truly sick, and it's causing it's it's the root of uh, climate change, the root of our environmental destruction. And if we don't start talking about it in a big way then it will be the root of our extinction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, my daughter would definitely agree with you. Um, she took AP Environmental Science this year, and she's on us big time. And, 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 and so, yeah, <laughs> I get an earful <laughs> at home. <laughs> but, well, won't, let you, won't let you buy the Nestle products, huh? No, well, not just, well, yeah, she's, she, she's very, she's very much, she, she does not like, if, if we go someplace, she's like, oh, my God, they have styrofoam. Do we have to eat here? It's like, okay, <laughs> we won't. Like, we're, we're recycling, you know. So, so it's, it's just really interesting. They've, they've gone and done plantings to help with, you know, the bee population. They've done all types of stuff. But, but I, I, I agree that that definitely is something that um, is not talked about enough, you know, on TV. But it's also something we need to be talking to, not just, you know, amongst us, but also talking with the younger folks about. So I have, it's been, she's been our go-to around the house about what we need to be doing better. Uh, making sure we're staying on top of our game and, you know, minimizing our footprint. I'm just like, okay, well, if this one, if you want to be, you know, climate change captain of the family, you can go right on ahead and do that, darling. But, <laughs> but no, you're right. It is definitely something because it affects everything. And it's not just, you know, people will laugh about the idea of like global warming and stuff, but it's so much more than that. Um, and it really does affect, and we're talking about it when it affects on people. I don't think, I, I think sometimes we don't do enough, a good enough job of explaining to like, you know, working class people, um, people who are in the trenches and have a long list of issues already, why this actually matters as well. It's not just some boutique thing, you know, that people care about. Like it, it, it affects our communities. It affects, you know, where well, our housing yeah. is placed and all types of stuff. Yeah, and you know, a, a good book that addresses all of that, maybe your daughter would like it, is uh, Naomi Klein's book, This Changes Everything. Oh, yes. It, okay, that's a it, good idea. It, yeah, it talks about how climate change it, it should, it, it, it speaks to our communities as a whole mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people's lives being exploited as a whole. And it says this, you know, we need to start reanalyzing everything uh, because of climate change. So it really does connect the right. dots between, like, you you can you can think to yourself, oh, that doesn't really impact me, but it it all it all impacts us heavily. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's interrelated, and and that's a great suggestion in terms of her book because it is interrelated, and we need to we need to make sure we're clearly articulating in our advocacy with folks why well well, well and other people we work with like you know make sure you're you're making you're connecting the dots, and I think that's sometimes a challenge when people are really passionate about their issues 
they're not necessarily understanding how to connect it to what someone else's experience is. And, and I just think that just, just better communication with folks just makes it, um, it helps us bring, you know, the possibility of demanding uh, more coverage, more work done in this area. Um, what's, mm -hmm. Is there another issue you think, I mean, we already talked about elect, elect, election fraud. Is there something else you think that should be covered that's not really well, covered? It, here's one you won't uh, you won't hear much is um, people think of advertising as a little bit annoying or you know sometimes people talk about oh that show's sponsored by this company and so that that's kind of influencing things but we never talk about the the like global and even more so uh, you know national because we have so many ads but what's that doing to us psychologically to to take in, we take in roughly 1,000 to 3,000 ads and, and brand names a day. And what, even if you're trying to avoid commercials, you're going to see stuff like that. What does it do to us? What does it do to our brains to be told endlessly all day, every day, that we're not good enough, we're not hip enough, we're not hot enough, we're not rich enough, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not clean enough? You know, you, you turn on. I was in some hotel, and the only channel I could get was, was like Lifetime Network. So it was all the... <laughs> all the all the women, all the women movies, and every commercial, literally every three minutes, there was there was another three minutes of commercials about how germs are everywhere. They're on your kids. They're on your face. They're on your hands. They're on your. And it was like you got to clean. You got to clean the cleaning fluid. Cleaning this. Cleaning mm -hmm. that. And I was like, people must be psychotic if they watch much of this. Like, how many times can you be told you're covered in things that are going to kill you without losing your mind? Mm -hmm. So. It, <laughs> And it just made me think, like, like this stuff. People believe, you know, that it's the science has shown the the effect of the incredibly uh, strong effect of the placebo, right? Placebo right. effect is is like if you think you're taking a pill, it will in, it will have a positive impact even when it's a fake pill. So now imagine that you are being told endlessly all day that you you know you're not rich enough, you don't have enough things, you haven't bought enough stuff, you don't own enough cool clothes, like. It is it is corrupting all of us in a grand way, and yet we don't we we really never question it. Yeah, yeah, that is you're right. That isn't one that you would normally hear from someone, but I think that's a really great point too. Because you know, I think about kids, right, and the way their brains are developing in this, even with mm -hmm. their self esteem and stuff. You know, they're taking it in and what they're supposed to look like, what they're supposed to do, what it means to be this type of kid. Even when I look at like the back to school commercials, right, like all the cool kids with their cool clothes. Mm -hmm. It's it is. You know, you know, you're very. That is a very good point. I didn't realize and they take in so much daily you don't even think about it yeah because we're so yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you think about the reverse you will never see an ad that says you have enough you don't need to buy you're you're good enough you're cool enough you're rich enough you will never see an ad that says any of that right right because they can't get you to come buy something right <laughs> Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to make sure everyone, I will unfortunately be at the People's Summit the weekend you're here, but I'm definitely going to spread the word and see if I can actually even get my own siblings to come check you out that weekend um, because I'm actually sad that that's the weekend you're here. Yeah, that, well, well, then they can come back and perform it all for you. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> but I'm really excited, though, that, that, that you do this because um, I didn't know that you, you, you toured on the weekends, but that's, that's pretty awesome, and maybe I'll catch you some other time. But I'm definitely going to share the information to everyone I know down here um, for them to come check you out. And uh, I'm really excited. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, keep, keep uh, waking people up. 
working on it, working on it, trying to be like you. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you.